Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the subjects you're talking about in football. I'm Ian McGarry and with me as always is the guru himself, Duncan Castles. Today we have news on the biggest transfer story of what is coming up this summer, as well as Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool, the meltdown and the potential outcomes of that. Scotland produced something of a story in terms of Scottish football, that is, not the political uh, wrangling, uh, with regards to Neil Lennon's resignation as manager of Celtic, as their troubles continue. We will discuss uh, that and potential replacements, as well as looking at the Premier League this weekend and where it's heading in terms of of the placings, which are becoming more and more complex. Duncan, I mentioned at the top of the pod the transfer story of the summer, and there's no doubt um, that it will be the potential move of Leo Messi out of Barcelona and causing uh, what we like to call here at the Transfer Window Pod the magic roundabout um, and by that we mean uh, there will be repercussions and like the proverbial stone thrown into a lake, the ripples which are caused by the impact of that particular move will reverberate around European football. Well, we have seen uh, this week the sport director at Paris Saint-Germain, Leonardo, uh, speak about uh, there being uh, a fairly, I think, um, a, an ultimatum almost to say to Kylian Mbappe, you need to make a decision about whether you want to stay here. Uh, we know, of course, is that he's out of contract a year in the summer, so 17 months from now, and uh, does not intend to renew in order to give himself the best possible options of leaving the club. We also know that should he decide he wants to leave, that Barcelona would be one of the options as well as Real Madrid. And of course, Duncan, you have reported um, Mbappe himself's interest in joining Liverpool. Now, if Messi comes uh, to Ligue 1 and is attracted by the petrodollars of the Qatari ownership of the club, Duncan. Uh, I think there are problems there for PSG. One, would, of course, would be, uh, A, the financial structure of that particular deal and financial fair play. The second would be how many noses to be put out of joint by Messi joining, of course. Neymar would be happy to have him in Paris, as we know. Um, and has been said many times. However, Mbappe may well be willing to make the uh, trip back towards Iberia and Spain and take up a position in La Liga, as he would no longer be uh, numero uno, as it were, in the club. 
And the third one would be, of course, the renewal of Neymar's contract, uh, as well as Messi at 33, Neymar at 29. So in, what would you um, project with regards to um, the Messi move? We've obviously reported extensively on the transfer window about Manchester City's interest. Is it possible that Messi would settle for what is seen as potentially the weakest of the five big leagues in Europe um, for the last three, four years of his career in European football? Or would he take up a new challenge in the English Premier League? That's the question that people are asking who are involved in this process. And and the perspective here is that Messi has the key to what happens um, with these current superstars and, and Kylian Mbappe's um, case, someone we expect to be the top player in the world in the, in the next few years. Messi's options are, are interesting in that all the Barcelona presidential candidates want to keep him. The favourite, Jean Laporta, um, does definitely have Messi in his plans and would like to give him a new contract. I'm told he would like to structure it in a way that they would keep Messi for a year, maybe two years, and he would have a, an option to move outside European football in the way that they did with Xavi and Iniesta, so not stand in the player's way as long as he moves away from the Champions League stage um, for a, a final payday elsewhere, i.e. keep him out of the hands of Paris Saint-Germain, keep him out of the hands of, of Manchester City. Um, so Messi is going to have that option to remain. He also has Paris Saint-Germain um, very actively courting him to the extent that Barcelona have, have complained uh, about how outspoken they've been in, in expressing their interest in Messi. And he has that offer um, now reduced, as you reported, uh, I think a couple of weeks ago from Manchester City, but of, of a substantial scale to go to Manchester City to play in the Premier League, then move on to New York City, remain in the Abu Dhabi um, group of football clubs uh, and be paid very well, uh, have the chance to play in the Premier League and have the chance to play in the MLS and, and have money guaranteed going forward. Um, that offer was there in the, in the summer. He had provisionally agreed to go to Manchester City. Um, the deal fell through because Barcelona's president refused to sell and Messi was not prepared to take court action against the club. You look at it from Mbappe's perspective then, um, what happens if Messi decides, I am going to leave Barcelona now, regardless of the fact that the presidential candidates want to keep me, I want another place to play in Europe and he chooses Paris rather than Manchester. And the information I'm hearing is that although he is very attracted to the, the project that Abu Dhabi Manchester City put to him to move to the Premier League, that his family and in particular his wife is not keen on the idea of moving to Manchester. Doesn't want to move away from Barcelona, but particularly doesn't want uh, to go to Manchester. Would prefer the move to be to Paris if they are going to leave Barcelona. Um, so Messi goes to Barcelona and suddenly Mbappe becomes one of three big names in uh, the project. And 
I cannot think of another club where you have three individuals of that status simultaneously included. Um, I think from a financial perspective, it's very difficult for Paris Saint-Germain, even with the way um, FFP has been made more lenient to get all three of those salaries into the club at the same time. And to do so, uh, they would, if, if they're to go through with their intention of retaining Mbappe, they're going to have to put Mbappe on a salary of over 30 million euros net, put him on the same level as Neymar. That is what the Mbappe family expect to get if they're going to stay at Paris, um, as well as pay Messi, as well as pay Neymar. Now, an interesting part of this is, and, and we've seen Neymar kind of encourage Messi to come to Paris is that the information I have is that Neymar is is keen to have Messi come because he feels his calculation is that would be a way to move Mbappe out of the club that he sees from the, the perspective, financial perspective that Paris cannot have all three at the same time. And from a sporting perspective, it's not going to appeal to Mbappe to be one of three rather than be the main man in whichever club he moves to, the main attacking force. And that, I'm told, is what he's ready for. He's been five years at the top level of football now. Um, his Champions League scoring record, 24 goals in 42 games. He's won the World Cup. He's won the French title four times. He's kind of done what can be done as being the second name at a club. So the time for him, from his perspective, is to move elsewhere and be the main attacking force. Now, if you look at it from Neymar's perspective, if his analysis is correct on that, and the, the information I'm getting from people close to Mbappe is that probably it is, then you allow Messi to come to PSG, you encourage Messi to come to PSG, you help PSG in that process of, of taking him, of keeping him out of the hands of Abu Dhabi, keep, allow Qatar to have um, Messi going into the World Cup. He'll probably only play two years at Paris. You get a new contract at Paris, which he is close to agreeing. Uh, and then after those two years, Messi leaves PSG and you can carry on being the big name at um, Paris Saint-Germain, the big name in French football with Mbappe removed from the this, this scenario. No competition from a French international with the, the obvious popularity he's going to have in, in that country. And of course, he knows Messi well. He's very close to him. They have a, a good relationship. He's played alongside him before. You can handle two years of playing with him in France together. So what does Mbappe do in, in that situation? Well, he, as we have reported, is keen on moving to one of two leagues uh, for the next stage of his career, either the Premier League, um, where his preference, I'm told, would be Liverpool. He likes Manchester United as a club, but his preference uh, would be to work with Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool or to Spain, um, where Barcelona are an option, but obvious financial difficulties and Real Madrid have pursued him since before he went to Paris Saint-Germain to play. He can't actually act and, and decide on which on where he needs to go until PSG have made their decision over Messi. Messi is the is 
the the figure that is being pursued by Paris Saint-Germain once Messi has taken his decision on where he wants to go then you see where the financial landscape is and then you see where the sporting landscape is and then you can look and decide whether it's this summer I leave or whether you wait and run down the contract leave on a free transfer in a year's time uh, and have an easier process of negotiating a, a salary elsewhere but that basically is what I what I'm hearing from people close to Mbappe is that he feels he's in a a position of power in terms of his his future career, um, but not a position where he needs to drive the movement out of the club at this present time because um, other factors will determine where the money is and where the need is uh, for a player like him to go um, either this summer or next summer. It's a strange one, Duncan. I mean, rarely in the history of football has one club been in the position where they are actively negotiating, stroke, proposing uh, contracts, uh, renewals or new for three of the most expensive and valuable players in world football. And Neymar, Mbappe and Messi probably are the top three players outside of Cristiano Ronaldo um, in world football right now. Uh, I guess um, the other complication, of course, that they have here is um, the renewal of Neymar, um, but also the fact that they're dealing with, uh, and this is, you know, I find it quite amusing, I'm sure uh, our listeners do as well, You've got three dads involved here as well, Mbappe, Neymar, and with Messi, who represent them. In some ways, you know, there's a fight I'd pay to see. Stick the three dads in a room and ask them to just, you know, swedge it out, basically, and say, right, which one of you thinks your sons is the best and uh, should have the biggest salary? But it doesn't seem financially realistic or plausible for all three to play in the same team and especially with the difficulties that um, French football is facing at this moment in time in terms of revenues after the collapse of their television broadcasting deal for them to be able to pay even with the very deep pockets of the ownership uh, pay all three players at that point uh, I think Mbappe is the one who is most likely expendable only if Messi agrees to go to Paris. But he would be the one who would be sacrificed on the basis that he has one year out of contract in the summer. He is obviously very much wanted by Real Madrid. Um, Barcelona would be an interested party even with the financial crisis caused by the pandemic, um, there will be a market for Mbappe. A deal could be worked out. There would be a leveraged loan that w- available that could obviously facilitate the signing of the player. Uh, and I mean that uh, to Liverpool as well, um, should they decide to pursue that interest. Messi will be the one who 
chooses his own future because he's on freedom of contract, but Mbappe will be the one uh, should he decide to leave. Or maybe he does decide to stay under the same terms for one more year and leave him free um, and copy Messi's uh, example uh, in terms of, well, why should someone else take money out of my pocket when in actual fact I can just see my contract out and uh, choose my own club uh, and also, of course, be rewarded um, financially for the fact uh, anyone who wants me is not going to have to pay a hundred million euro plus transfer fee. Look, Qatar would like to keep Mbappe. It's not. It's not a case of um, preferences for Messi, preferences for Neymar. In an ideal world, they would keep all three in the same team. But I, and they can afford to do it. They have the money to do that however you do have to at least be seen to adhere to financial fair play in which case if Messi gives them the yes and you know that that is a big if at this stage then money has to be raised from somewhere they have Neymar uh, ready to sign a new contract and Neymar's options elsewhere have have diminished to the point where he is not agitating to leave in the in the fashion that he's been doing pretty much for every season for the last um, four or five seasons, including the ones at, at Barcelona. Um, so they have Neymar there. Therefore, if you, if there's a, a money required to make it work on the books and Mbappe only has a year left and has that power of uh, saying, I'm going to run my contract down and leave for free in a year's time when COVID is gone and the, and the market for, for salaries and football is, is superior, then there is 150 million euros, 200 million euros, if you believe the price that PSG have been um, leaking out into the, the French media recently, of transfer fee that can be secured by selling Mbappe this summer before his contract disappears. And that would give you the money um, to balance out the salaries of Neymar and Messi um, in FFP uh, to start with. The other side, as you say, this is kind of a unique situation where you've got these negotiations going on simultaneously with three of the biggest names in, in world football. I think the other side of it, beyond the FFP perspective, is is it possible from a sporting perspective in an era where the big names in football are bigger than they've ever been from not just the financial view, but from the media view, from the, the way you have uh, supporters who follow players rather than clubs. Um, the 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 status of a star in football has increased to a, a level we've never seen in the game, and the planning around their careers has changed in the fashion that those players want to be at a place where they get maximum attention, where they where they are leaders of teams, um, where the sporting project fits. Uh, well with them. I think it's very, very difficult to have a sporting project where you have Mbappe, Messi, Neymar, Neymar and Mbappe tensions between them to, to start with all in the, the same team at the same time. And, you know, interestingly, there's even a question mark whether that's, that would be a good uh, attacking setup to have. You know, is it possible to combine those three in a team and have maximum effectiveness in the Champions League. Would Paris Saint-Germain be better? Would they have higher chances of winning that 
Champions League trophy for the first time with Messi in than leaving him elsewhere. I, I don't think that that is part of their thinking here, same way as it, it wasn't part of Manchester City's uh, thinking of do we spend 700 million euros on a contract for Messi over five years, albeit some of it or a lot of it will be paid um, by Abu Dhabi via um, America and and loaded on the end of the contract so it doesn't go in Manchester City's books. Do we do that because the owners want it or are we doing it because it's the best thing for the football team? Is that the best way to, to spend the money? I think it's questionable whether it's the best way to spend the money for Paris Saint-Germain, but it's not being done primarily from a sporting perspective. And that's what happens when you have nation states in, in charge of, of football clubs. So that calculation comes into it. And that calculation, I think, comes into it for Mbappe as well. As I've said, he's already won the World Cup at PSG. He's won four league titles during his time in France. You can't really see someone of, of his capabilities and his potential staying in French football for the entirety of his career. He doesn't see that himself. Um, therefore, assuming you haven't won the Champions League this year before uh, you leave Paris Saint-Germain and you have that option because it will be presented to him, you can stay here with with Messi and uh, and Neymar in the same team. Is that the right way to go? Is it is that the, the highest chance to win the Champions League apart from all those other elements of wanting to be the main focus in the team, wanting to be the main attacking force, wanting to be a Messi-like figure at his next club, wanting to be a Cristiano Ronaldo-like figure in his, in his next club. And you know, when we talk about these things, we should always remember one of the reasons why he's not at Real Madrid to begin with and that he had agreed a contract with Madrid uh, to leave Monaco before he went to, to Paris Saint-Germain and stepped away from that deal because he felt he was being lined up to be a direct replacement for Cristiano Ronaldo at Real Madrid. And he did not want to be perceived as that direct replacement at that stage because he felt he wasn't ready. It was too early in his career to take on that mantle. And if things had gone wrong, it could have uh, set back the whole course of his career. Now he's four years um, down the line in terms of his thinking. And he's ready to take on that mantle and he sees the, the possibility of surpassing Messi and Ronaldo and Neymar on the world stage. Therefore, being in the same team with two of them wouldn't make sense for him. So here's an interesting little um, aside on this one, Duncan. I say little, it's, 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 it's probably about five foot eight. Um, and that is... Um, I was talking to someone who is very close to Aiden Hazard in the last couple of days, and they said to me that um, Aiden uh, admits that his time at Real Madrid has been effectively uh, a nightmare, uh, mostly due to injuries, um, but that he is... Uh, thinking about his future and what he does next and perhaps Spain is not the best place for him. Now obviously he made his name in France before going to Chelsea and uh, and obviously his uh, fame and um, his talent flourished at Stamford Bridge but the notion 
of going to Paris Saint-Germain and returning to Ligue 1. Uh, and then, of course, that would be a potential uh, part of a deal for Kylian Mbappe to go the other way. And, of course, as we've been talking about for the last six months, because of the economic changes in terms of football and the climate uh, that we currently in, are all involved in, then uh, Hazard could be a pawn, uh, or more than a pawn, because that's a bit unfair on Hazard and his talent. But it might just be the right thing to do for him to leave, uh, go to PSG, and then, of course, opening the door for Mbappe and PSG uh, to do a deal which does not include as much uh, cash investment as it would do otherwise, given that Hazard uh, cost around 150 million euros from Chelsea. Uh, and both clubs would be satisfied with getting something that they wanted. Um, I'm not saying that positionally uh, PSG are obviously um, looking to replace uh, in where, where Hazard plays, because obviously he normally plays on the left side of a front three, which of course Neymar does at the moment. But the point is, I suppose, that they could uh, in some way uh, write off a lot of the potential cash investment uh, in signing Mbappe by swapping Hazard to PSG. Do you think that's a potential or is that maybe just stretching it too far? I've no doubt that if it gets to the stage where Mbappe says because Lionel Messi is coming to Paris Saint-Germain that he wants and is ready to move this summer, um, make it happen, Real Madrid, that Real Madrid will be offering players as part of that deal uh, because they have a lot of players that they, they want to offload. Um, so it would make sense to do that. Um, from a sporting perspective, it's going to leave Maurizio Pochettino um, quite a complicated problem as to how you fit all those players in, into one team. And I think you've, a, a more complex sporting problem than than the one they'd have with Kylian Mbappe, Messi and, and Neymar because Mbappe can, can play more as a classic number nine um, than obviously Hazard can. Um, you, know, you can use Messi off the... Off the right, or as a as a false nine, and and allow Neymar to play left, or or Azar to play left. You can use Azard on the right, but you know I think you put those three in in one team. There's a lot of players wanting to play in the same areas of the field and to play in a in a in a similar style. Um, so while I can see the the attractions. From a financial perspective um, and a and a, this, uh, a deal structuring perspective, um, and perhaps uh, Azard feels it's time to to move out of Madrid. Although I I, I hear that from a, a lifestyle point of view, he's very comfortable there, and we know that with Azard, he's he's always been a kind of different type of stellar player to the others, and that his off field life. Is important to him. He's a he's a relaxed, easygoing individual who who hasn't been prepared to push himself 
from a preparation uh, level and from from the perspective of 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 trying to be the absolute top athlete and and footballer he can be. Um, so it's it's not that he's unhappy with Madrid uh, as a place to live. But yeah, I, I think it, it it's it would cause as many problems as it would solve uh, to add him into that PSG squad. Problems, of course, that most of us would love to have in our five-a-side team. Um, and <laughs> Maurizio Pochettino might even be renamed Charlie and the Chocolate Factory uh, if indeed he gets the opportunity to choose from that particular roster of players. I, I was just going to say, Pochettino, he has has some problems to solve at present, just that Paris Saint-Germain, given the the, the, the start to his, his time there and, and where they are in the league. I mean, remarkably, they are... Uh, they're they're lagging behind uh, Leo. I think four points behind Leo, and and just in third place in in uh, in the French division at present. So um, not winning the French title, uh, albeit he came in uh, during the season and had uh, and had uh, and issues to resolve. He's going to put pressure on someone who who actually only has a contract um, until twenty twenty two with the club. And of course, one of the reasons that he's struggling is his name is not Big Tam Pochettino. <laughs> and I'm sure you'll appreciate that reference. Duncan, let's move to Jurgen Klopp. This has been a very interesting period for Liverpool Football Club. 33 points worse off than they were after this amount of games last season. I mean, that's almost incredible. To, to, to even imagine. Um, at this point last season, they had lost one game. They've lost seven. This incredible change in fortune definitely has had an effect. We've seen, uh, albeit with some obviously uh, added reasons family-wise for Klopp uh, with the death of his mother, um, a very touchy manager, a manager who uh, seems to be... A, you know, at the mercy of injuries and also uh, the drop in confidence of what was a very um, ex- almost machine-like uh, outfit uh, for the last two seasons when they won the Champions League and then the Premier League in consecutive seasons. This week, Duncan, uh, a newspaper of record and very well-respected build uh, reported that the chances of Jurgen Klopp taking over as the um, national manager of Der Mannschaft, uh, the German national team, uh, the season after next, so therefore leaving Liverpool in 2022, were at least twice as high as they might have been just a month ago. And that that being the case, it would be because he feels that he hasn't had the support, uh, nor indeed has he been granted uh, the resources that he's required um, or indeed asked for, for the um, strengthening of his team and his squad. Uh, Clearly there have been major problems with injuries at Anfield uh, this season. And you could argue that that has simply been unlucky. But at the same time, uh, this is a team who 
um, having mentioned the stats already, have um, definitely, definitely reduced their level of performance. But also, it's the case that uh, the, the players themselves, the important players who are still there and available, are looking bereft of confidence and indeed of capability to win important football matches. And we have seen that in the past few weeks. Now, Klopp would be a major loss, I think, to English football and certainly uh, to the Premier League. But at the same time, there are cycles in management where effectively uh, your time is done. And it maybe it's the case that, that Klopp has achieved all he can at Liverpool and it needs new someone new and new ideas. Um, and of course, there has been what I think is, is unfair and a quite kind of hysterical um, response to recent results by some Liverpool fans um, regarding uh, Klopp must go, bring Steven Gerrard in. But, you know, I, <laughs> I thought to myself the other day, I think having not won a title in 30 years would have made Liverpool fans used to losing. Um, but apparently, you know, you win one title, well, you want the next. Well, the, the results, uh, the, the contrast in results is immense. You know, they are currently on four wins in 14 games, one of those in the FA Cup against Aston Villa's under-23s. Um, they've not won at home in the calendar year. Uh, that famous 68 match unbeaten run in the league ended by Burnley. Since then, they've lost to Brighton, Manchester City and Everton, scored just one goal. The last time they scored uh, at home in the league from open play was in December um, against West Bromwich Albion in the 12th minute. Uh, they've gone nearly nine hours without scoring at home in open play. They are fortunately still in the Champions League and they still have a chance to win something very significant. And it's easily, I think, the best performance of this calendar year for them was in that Leipzig match. Um, they look like they should be through, but given the way they're playing and given the fragilities in the defence and given the way we've seen Leipzig play Manchester United earlier this season and get destroyed uh, at Old Trafford and then turn around their game plan um, and beat Manchester United to eliminate them from the, the Champions League, obviously not knockout, but it, they they are a team which seem to be able to learn lessons and, and implement different ways of playing and are a team that are capable of scoring. So so maybe even that that, that um, progress into the next round of the Champions League isn't guaranteed. It, it, it's, it's a massive contrast. Um, as we said all the way through that season um, where they won the title and they had it finished by December where um, Pep Guardiola um, before Christmas had effectively conceded defeat in the way that Klopp has recently conceded defeat in, in terms of retaining their title. During that season, pretty much everything possible went for them. Um, they had a, you know, a lot of for good fortune in individual games, they had a lot of refereeing decisions going for them. This season, it's been the opposite. They've, you know, they've had the bad fortune of injuries to key players and key players in the same area of the pitch. Um, and they've had a lot of um, VAR calls go against them um, in, in stark contrast to last season. Um, maybe that's the, the refereeing changes are to do with not having that 
famous Anfield crowd there. I, I think I think the way Liverpool play, which is aggressive, intentionally aggressive, um, harrying down opponents, um, being on the edge of foul play quite often, um, and taking advantage of of the the lenient refereeing in the Premier League. I think if you take the supporters away and you take that pressure of tens of thousands of Liverpool fans screaming at the referee um, whenever a decision goes against them. I think those marginal refereeing calls can start going against them. But you, know, you can al- analyse what's gone wrong in, in various ways. The question here is what Klopp does about it. Um, and we know Klopp is a bad loser. Right? We, we've heard time and time again post-defeat um, excuses um, about you know, grass conditions, wind conditions, um, blaming officials. Um, he, he doesn't take defeat well. He has a long-term contract um, until 2024 that he signed in 2019. It's his third contract at Liverpool. You can go back and look at his comments on previous occasions um, when talking about his future and how long he expected to be there. And um, I think I think the most telling one is where he says he has to have total commitment and energy for the job, otherwise he doesn't want to do it. So he gave an interview to Kicker, the German football magazine, in two thousand and nineteen, um, where he said, "I have absolute energy, but I have one problem: I can't do a little bit. I can only do all or nothing." Um, and, and talked about after he finished at Liverpool, he would likely take a sabbatical to get his energy back and decide where he wanted to work again. Um, talking again in, in 2020, he said most likely after he finishes at Liverpool, he will go back to Germany um, and talked about completing his four years in Liverpool, going back there. What would he do afterwards? Do nothing for a year was, was his response. So I think you see from that there's a there's a there's an awareness in Jurgen Klopp that he has to be completely focused to be effective as a manager and he doesn't want to do things at half the level um and you know that I think that's understandable because he's his relationship with the players his ability to motivate them his ability to get them to believe in the high energy style of football that's been fundamental to them winning the Champions League and, and winning the Premier League is a fundamental part of his methodology. And, and I think he has the awareness to know that if he's not totally committed, it's going to be very hard to get the players totally committed. He's now been in a situation where he's had to fight with FSG for a sustained period over transfers. He had to fight in the summer um, to get them to bring Thiago Alcantara in. He had to fight to get Jogo Jota in. He had to fight to get players who I, I seriously doubt he was happy with as replacements for uh, Virgil van Dijk and Joe Gomez and Ozan Kabak and Ben Davis um, to try and get something out of the, the second half of the season. As we've talked about in this podcast several times, FSG are not in this for the glory. This is a, it's a financial project for them. Down the line, there is the idea that the club will be sold for substantial um, 
profit on their initial, which is a very limited investment um, given the, the valuation of top football clubs at present. They have overachieved on their own plans by winning Champions League and Premier League. Um, they have been hit with the COVID pandemic. They tried to lay off staff and they got a lot of uh, opprobrium from their own supporters, regardless of um, neutrals over what they attempted to do in response to COVID. Um, we have said on a number of occasions that I think from FSG's perspective, not defending the title um, is not a terrible thing because in, in the, the medium to long term plan, they can get back to a position of success um, once they've got through this period. If you look at the squad as well, and particularly the, the team that, that Klopp plays on a regular basis, um, it's one of the oldest teams that Liverpool have had in, in their entire Premier League history. At the, that front three, you've got three players who are in their late 20s. Um, you've got two players in particular, Sadio Mane and, and Mo Salah, who have an interest in playing in Spain uh, before they end their career, who in normal circumstances at this point would be trying to get moves to Barcelona and Real Madrid and would, with the expectation that they could get huge contracts there and that those clubs would pay substantial transfer fees for them. And Liverpool, strategically, you know, have even made it clear that they're open to allowing those players to leave if they don't have the motivation and desire to stay at the club and the financial deals are in place for them to make substantial profits on them and reinvest elsewhere in the team. I think. You see with Liverpool this you know, very clever plan, an effective plan that they've, they've used on recruitment and building a team of, of this quality being hit very hard by the pandemic because the, the normal conditions in which they worked in, in terms of selling, the idea being to sell top players for huge profits and reinvest in the team have kind of been knocked away from them. And that, I think, for Jurgen Klopp makes the decision over what he does next more complicated because the, the, that steady path Liverpool have been on has been moved away. And, um, you know, you are looking at someone there who, who, who openly talks about commitment and energy levels being important to him. And therefore, I think FSG, if they want to retain him, need to be careful to, to ensure that he retains the ambition to, to fill that contract out before he goes elsewhere. Does it make it easier, Duncan, um, for FSG, for Liverpool fans particularly, who are well known for uh, voicing their opinions uh, vehemently, to know that, that Stephen Gerrard is effectively the manager in waiting? So whatever happens with Klopp, there will be a fairly seamless transition um, with Gerard coming back to Anfield and, of course, will be given the benefit of the doubt for probably a couple of seasons because of his legendary status. But it's true that, um, you know, if you're looking at it, Cynically, from an FSG perspective, um, they could follow the route that Chelsea followed. If if they're if, not going to go elsewhere, Duncan, are they? Let's face it. I mean, we've talked. We, we've already reported this that 
you know, it isn't it coincidental that Gerard and Klopp have contracts that end on exactly the same day at Rangers and Liverpool respectively. Um, and if Liverpool did not, or FSG did not appoint Steven Gerrard as Klopp's successor, especially it seems now that he's going to win his first league title um, at Rangers, then there would be an outcry of, well, why isn't Steven Gerrard my next manager? Why are we employing someone else? They'd have to present a very impressive candidate if they decide not to appoint Gerrard, that's for sure. Certainly Gerrard's ambition is to, to manage Liverpool and one of the reasons he left Liverpool um, coaching role to go to Rangers was to, to build his career and, and learn uh, and work in an environment where you know, it's, a, it, it's a city as, as we talked about at the time it happened, it's a city where you have a very similar setup to Liverpool and you have two, two clubs, two big clubs uh, with a great deal of enmity between them, uh, a kind of goldfish bowl you're working in. And um, that, I mean, a friend of Gerard said to me when I was asking him why he put his head on the line by taking the Rangers job because it didn't look like it was an even an easy or a, or a straightforward or a, or a likely um, outcome that he'd be able to stop Celtic winning the title. And he, he said because he felt it was the, the right place for him to go to turn himself into the manager who would be ready to, to take charge of Liverpool. Um, it's, a, it's a training ground. It's the best training ground available. Um, yeah, I, what I was going to say from a cynical perspective... FSG, if they're in a period where they have to overhaul that Liverpool squad, um, and you know, this is a big if here, uh, if Klopp decides to walk away from it and they need a, a new man to come in and, and, it, and they see it requires substantial investment to, to, uh, to rejuvenate the squad, then follow the Chelsea route, bring the Frank Lampard style appointment in, who the fans will give lots of time to, regardless of whether the results appear immediately um, and, and buy yourself time to spread that investment over a couple of seasons rather than doing it all in one go. Or not lots of time in Frank Lampard's case. <laughs> Only 18 months <laughs> before being sacked. Um, but bought the, they bought themselves two seasons effectively. And they then, did. And then Marina got the manager in who she felt would uh, maximise the the potential of of particular players she had signed um, or her, her and her recruitment team had signed um, rather than players that, uh, that Frank Lampard had identified. I noticed, uh, I don't know if you did, Duncan, um, reports in the press in England anyway um, over the last uh, four or five days that Roman Abramovich has uh well, ordered and is awaiting the delivery of a £440 million super yacht, um, the latest in a long line of sailing vessels that he's invested in. Uh, and I thought to myself, well, that's all very well, but can you play up front and score goals? Um, and I think the answer is no, probably not, despite having a helipad. Staying with football in Glasgow, and you know we don't often do that, 
uh, especially with Duncan's allegiance uh, lying elsewhere in the uh, sand dunes of Dundee. Uh, and that is um, the sacking of Neil Lennon, Duncan, uh, as, well, as a sacking. He officially resigned, but I think we all know what that actually means, especially in the circumstances in which Celtic find themselves in. Managers mentioned who might replace him uh, include Steve Clark, the Scotland boss, uh, as well as um, former Bournemouth manager Eddie Howe. Uh, but there must be other coaches out there, Duncan. Um, I say other coaches out there in the sense that Celtic is a very, very significant football club, in, not just in European terms, but in world terms, in terms of their global fan base. Um, they're even just their fan base in Scotland itself and their stadia and also the fact uh, that they attract um, a measure of um, profile with regard to um, how uh, other clubs and football people see them. And obviously if you achieve success at Celtic, um, your chances of getting a job somewhere else are pretty good. Do you think we'll see a new manager before the end of the season or is, do you think they're going to take their time? Look, I think you're right. You're talking about a, a club that can be a platform to go elsewhere. Um, and I would imagine that Celtic, when they're, they're, they're talking to candidates, um, will use Brendan Rodgers as an example of, of someone whose career has, uh, has been reinvigorated off the back of a of a period of great success at Celtic. Um, you're the, the Celtic supporter here. Who would you, if you had the, the, the choice or the ability to recommend um, an appointment to Celtic, who would you be picking out given that they face uh, you know, a, a tough scenario here um, in that they were expected to win 10 in a row and uh, the recruitment hasn't been great, and they have, um, I think, some some issues with the with wage bill to to be sorted out. Very true. Um, speaking to contacts at the club, um, with regards to um, Lennon's departure, and indeed just the dressing room over the past uh, four to five months, um, look, Lennon. Was <laughs> at his age, it's hard to say that he was a man who was past his time, but I think regarding Celtic, he was because it was his second spell as, as manager. And obviously, he spent the best part of 20 years um, at the club as a player, coach, and manager as well. And I think in the end, the failure of the players, the team, the squad to uh, to deliver 10 titles in a row was partly down to a degree of arrogance and complacency um, and also Lenin's failure to understand, comprehend and then manage those particular personalities that he needed to be on his side um, in order 
to get the results because the by all you know measures of probability they should really have taken the 10 titles but a strange confluence of circumstances and conflagration as well of uh little idiosyncrasies in what has become uh, a more and more disastrous season for Celtic has prevented them from uh, from creating that record of 10 titles. Uh, in terms of who the next manager should be, uh, from what I'm told, Celtic um, and the uh, directors and the owner, Dermot Desmond, the majority shareholder, are discussing uh, two scenarios. One is a project and that is that they need a head coach who comes in and uh, rebuilds from uh, the bottom up as it were and and by that I mean uh, what has become increasingly uh, more uh, evident in Scottish football whereby you depend on Scottish players and academy players coming through and Celtic have been doing that. Rangers, to an extent, not so much, but certainly um, have been not spending as much because the budgets are just not there. Uh, so what you need is coaching talent in that sense in order to uh, produce results and, uh, first of all, win you domestic titles. But, of course, uh, as we know from... Uh, fans group social media being more of uh, a success on the European stage and of course Rangers have shown that this particular week in the Europa League with victory over um, RC Antwerp um, in making the last 16 of the uh, Europa League competition Celtic of course have been eliminated from both so um they have to decide whether or not they go with a coach who they give time to and make um, a decision based on, uh, as I said, uh, allowing um, someone to sow the seeds of progress and see that through, or they go for someone who is an established coach already. Now, the managers I've talked about so far are Steve Clark the um, head coach of the Scottish national team, um, who would be an obvious choice, very impressive progress in his time there and has uh, also overseen Scotland reaching a major championship finals for the first time since uh, the World Cup in 1998. Uh, the former Bournemouth boss, Eddie Howe, or as we call him, Eddie Why, um, has also been mentioned as well. These are simply the uh, obvious runners, but what I'm told is that um, with Peter Law, the chief executive, outgoing uh, in May uh, from his job, that this is not necessarily going to be a short-lived process. Away from Glasgow, Premier League this weekend um, is beginning to look like a bit of a kind of boxing contest, really, when you think about it. 
and that's not at the top. It's not um, uh, the case that anyone's debating who the favourites for the title are, because obviously Manchester City are massively in uh, the box seat in terms of winning. But it certainly is the case of knockout blows for the top four, and of course those very, very uh, profitable and uh, desirable Champions League places. Um, again, we have a matchup this weekend in Chelsea versus Manchester United. I'm interested, Duncan, about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's comments regarding the way that United play and whether or not they can uh, continue and be consistent and play the kind of football that has seen them win games, but win games against a club like Chelsea when they'll be up against, or he'll be up against as well, a very clever coach and a very good football team as well, um, and gain the points that are needed to get into the top four, especially given the fact that, as you pointed out in your Hero of Tuesday, David Moyes and West Ham are currently in position to take that fourth Champions League place. Yeah, look, this, this is a fascinating game because Manchester United have a six-point cushion on, on Chelsea at present. Chelsea in fifth. Um, a lot of clubs compressed in that area where they, they do have a realistic shout of, of qualifying for the Champions League from a from league position. Um, Chelsea, of course, unbeaten under Tuchel um, and coming back from this week from a... a, a an impressive victory over Atletico Madrid in the, the Champions League. Um, and this, I think, being the start of a very, very testing period for Manchester United. If you look at their fixtures um, across the next month, they play Chelsea away, Crystal Palace away, who they obviously lost to in the other uh, Premier League encounter this season. Manchester City in the Premier League away. Then they have Milan in the Europa League, which is probably one of the hardest draws they could have got in the competition, given Milan's um, performances this season. They play West Ham United at home. In between those two ties, they play Leicester in the FA Cup. Um, and then into April, they, they have Brighton and Tottenham. Um, and Burnley after that, Burnley being one of those teams that they have, um, the way they play has, has been a, a problematic issue for Solskjaer before. So this, I think, is the testing period on whether he can get them to Champions League qualification and obviously whether he can get them um, further in the, the two cup competitions that they're, they're still in. If you look at the way they've been playing, since that game against Liverpool, um, where Solskjaer came out of the FA Cup tie talking about how it was a a statement victory in that they'd played the kind of football and the kind of tactics that he wanted to be able to play the kind of front foot football against a one of the strongest teams and won. They really haven't had very many convincing performances. Uh, there's been, you know, the defeat that followed that up with a defeat to Sheffield United, uh, drew 0-0 with Arsenal, um, drew 3-3 with Everton. Um, there is the one win in there, the 9-0 victory, um, which was lauded for being a, 
uh, a record victory for Manchester United. Um, obviously against Southampton, who were on a bad run and who lost a, a player to red card early in the match. So there hasn't, if that Liverpool match was the turning point which Solskjaer presented it as, it hasn't really been evidenced in performances subsequent to that game. And, you know, they've dropped out of the, the title race. As you say, it's Manchester City's title effectively already won. Um, I'm fascinated to see how he sets up against Chelsea because if you take him at his word and they made that statement and now they can take the top teams on um, playing the Manchester United way, this should be the test of it. Uh, I think it's more likely he'll go back to the kind of safety first um, policies that have succeeded for him in some of the big games during his time at Manchester United um, will sit deeper and you look to use pace on the counter-attack to, to sneak a win um, against Chelsea or worst comes to the worst draw and, and retain that cushion over them in the Champions League race. That would be the pragmatic way to go. Um, and quite often, very often, Solskjaer has actually gone the pragmatic way during his Manchester United career. But then there's the brave um, way, which is to follow his words with actions and take them on toe-to-toe. -to -toe. So let's see what happens on Sunday um, and how they get through this next month, where they, where they are once they've played this very challenging um, array of games that's coming up that will probably define their season. I do wish sometimes, Duncan, that we were given, you know, a, a template, a blueprint of the Manchester United <laughs> way, the West Ham United way, the Arsenal way of how to play football, because it seems like we are holding teams uh, under different managers and different players and everything else to some kind of like, uh, I don't know, uh, transient or almost um, ephemeral sense of, you know, what is expected from a club uh, which actually is both unpredictable and also almost untenable. Um, so, uh, yeah, I look forward it's to the a, point where they a, publish it on the website. It's, it's, a fair, it's a fair point, Ian, but um, I think in this case you're talking about a manager who repeatedly has talked about Manchester United playing the right way and is that being the... You could say excuse or you can say the reason why um, performances and results in particular have dropped off over his now more than two year period at the club that he's building to uh, return Manchester United DNA and return their style of play to what it was when he was at the club and under Sir Alex Ferguson. So, so he's, he has built this measurement system for himself by using it as the justification for the drop-off in performances and therefore he can be expected to deliver it and yeah it would be nice if he maybe wrote up a little bit in detail about what that Manchester United way was that he was trying to build the club back into producing and we could we could actually then measure it against Sir Alex Ferguson's team and see how often they played to the Manchester United way in, in inverted commas. See. You did the Britney Spears thing there where you said it was like, oops, I did it again. You mentioned another phrase, <laughs> the DNA. Yeah, another, <laughs> another, another <laughs> phrase I, I don't 
like another another buzzword that that doesn't have any any meaning really. I mean, you know, DNA is a genetic uh, uh, reality. However, a club's DNA does not actually exist. It's impossible. Agreed. I, and it's a phrase I, I don't particularly um, like in football, but as I say, it's a phrase that Solskjaer is using on a, on a regular basis to talk about what he is trying to do and to justify um, what he's done so far in his career. So then you have to use it and you have to um, judge him against what the, the general idea of Manchester United DNA and the general idea of the Manchester United way is. The only DNA I've found to be um, consistent, actually, in football in uh, recent years has been the England DNA, which is to lose at latter stages of major championships uh, in a disappointing way. So um, let's see if uh, they can obviously uh, turn that around uh, this summer, as hopefully we expect the Euros to take place mainly in England, but also. Uh, the fact that uh, fans will be allowed back into stadia then as well, which of course we're always looking forward to. Perhaps. Fr- perhaps. Per- perhaps. Perhaps. It's Friday. It's Friday, which means it is the Donkey Award and we've got a very special one for you. You know, we love to cross over sports, politics, and uh, this week we are awarding the Tiger Woods Award for choosing the wrong club. So we have uh, three nominations, Duncan, for um, people who have chosen the wrong club in football. Uh, I'm just going to open the uh, golden envelope here. Ooh, it was a tough one again this week. Uh, and the nominations are for your delectation, Duncan. The sensational uh, and, of course, tearful um, Senor Rubinho, the Brazil international, who um, gave that now infamous press conference almost at midnight when he begged Real Madrid to allow him to leave because he was a slave <laughs> for them because they would not release him. And uh, when he was released, he was rather surprised when he got the copy of the contract faxed to him in Madrid. And he said, what is this Manchester City? I thought only there was Manchester United. The second one is going and has to be Alan Shearer, who, of course, infamously chose to join his hometown club of Newcastle United uh, instead of Manchester United, where Fergie had been wooing him for several weeks. And last but certainly not least, Robin van Persie, Dutch international, sensational at Arsenal. Due to sign for Manchester City, he even had, even had the number 10 shirt of Aidan Dzeko assigned to him. And finally, when he was supposed to go to Manchester City, he went to the other Carrington of Man- uh, and signed instead for Manchester United, uh, where indeed he did win, win a title under Sir Alex Ferguson in his final season in 2013. Um, but 
if he had decided to stay at City or go to City as he'd agreed, then he would um, have probably won more trophies. But that's the way that it worked out for RVP. Um, Dunkey, um, I have to say, this is probably a, a kind of um, trophy close to your heart, knowing your love of the uh, the game of golf. And uh, and so um, please, please tell us who your Tigerwood award will go to. Well, I, I like the, the Robin Van Persie proposal because you're famously going to Manchester United and, and making the difference, being persuaded by Ferguson to come and not join Manchester City with Ferguson wanting to win that final title before he uh, retired. Um, has always been considered a, a, a highly successful move, but I think you make a good argument there that um, well, while he got that one title, he then ended up um, playing for David Moyes and, and Louis van Gaal and falling out with the latter and being shifted out of the club, uh, ending up in, in Turkey instead. So, so maybe On the scrap heap, I think, is the phrase we use of football. <laughs> Maybe he did choose the wrong club. Um, I love the Hobinho story. Um, <laughs> not uh, saying on record, I didn't realise there was another club in Manchester after uh, he signed for um, Abu Dhabi, led Manchester City is a great one. But I think here it has to be Alan Shearer um, choosing Newcastle United over Manchester United, missing out on all those trophies. Five, I think. Five. Premier League titles he might have gotten if he'd decided to sign for Manchester United. Yeah, and and then goes on, I think, at one point to criticise Tottenham players for wanting um, superior contracts because they uh, they hadn't won uh, enough trophies to to, to, to merit um, superior contracts and somehow forgetting that superior contracts he got at Newcastle United in the latter stage of his office career despite not winning any trophies there um, so Alan Shearer I think is the pick this week and of course we can use a picture of Alan Shearer instead of your picture because you both look almost exactly the same when we do the um, Twitter for the podcast correct <laughs> <laughs> Although, to be fair, the only time I've seen you play football is at right back, not as as as, as a centre forward. So maybe not. Uh, so Alan Shearer, you are the winner of this week's Donkey Award, which, given your obsession with the golf, the golf, as we say, in Scotland, and the Tiger Woods Award for choosing the wrong club, I'm sure you'd be very pleased with. Uh, I think that's definitely going to be something that you're going to be treasuring for the rest of your life and passing on to your kids and your grandkids. Um, so uh, well done to you. Um, Big Al, as you're known, um, apparently, amongst uh, the BBC uh, compatriots uh, who you do match of the day with. This was Friday's podcast uh, for the transfer window this week. If you liked what you heard, please leave a five-star review on iTunes. Uh, you can also subscribe to the Transfer Window podcast on YouTube. Turn on all notifications and you'll be first to find out when the latest pod drops. 
Of course, we love to engage with you and discuss everything that we talk about on the pod, as well as uh, take things forward with you in between the pods. So please join discussion with us on our social media platforms, which are at Transfer Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Individually, uh, Duncan is at Duncan Castles. I am at Garbo SJ, and you can talk to us directly on those particular handles. Until next week, uh, we hope you enjoy your weekend of football, everyone. And um, we used to say that this was uh, perfect listening for you on the way to a game. And of course, in this pandemic period, that's not possible. So just listen to it anyway. Stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening. Hey.